Before uh, we get into scripture today, I do want to remind everyone of a couple things. Thank you for your patience as we are fixing the roof, and that has, because of water damage, closed our nursery downstairs, keeping out of the nursery. Thank you for that. And I have yet to destroy the hornet's nest that is growing on the side of the building, so please keep your children off of the ramp. And that's a good policy anytime, actually. But in particular now, I don't want them to say, oh, what's that? And poke it with a stick. I don't want any of the adults to do that either. But uh, your children in particular, let's keep them safe. Amen. Today I'd like to take our attention to the book of Second Chronicles. And I'm going to read several verses here in chapter 11 and a couple in chapter 12. Second Chronicles chapter 11, and I want to begin reading in verse number 5. As we turn there, I, I want to say, last week I, I told you that I didn't think I was going to preach very long, and I think I lied, and I didn't mean to, so I won't promise you anything today. We'll just see what happens. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 11 and verse number 5. So Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah. He built Bethlehem, Edom, Tekoa, Bethzur, Soka, Adullam, Gath, Marisha, Ziph, Adaram, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Ajalon, and Hebron, which are in Judah and Benjamin, fortified cities. And he fortified the strongholds put captains in them and stores of food, oil, and wine. Also, in every city he put shields and spears and made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. And then skipping down from, from verse 12 all the way to 23, speaking again of Rehoboam, he dealt wisely and dispersed some of his sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city and gave them provisions in abundance. And turning to the next chapter, chapter 12 of Second Chronicles, I want to read beginning in verse number 2. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. With 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number who came with him out of Egypt, the Lubim, the Sukim, and the Ethiopians. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and, be, and came to Jerusalem. And then skipping down again to verse 15, and I apologize, I know we're jumping around a lot, but verse 15 of chapter 12, the acts of Rehoboam first and last are they not written in the book of Shemaiah, the prophet and Edu, the seer concerning genealogies. And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. There were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. Now, I know that was a lot to read. But let's capture it like this in a title today. I want to preach from this thought, 15 City Soup. 
or preparation for the wrong enemy. Would you bow your heads one more time and help me pray and ask the Lord's blessing and anointing. Sweet and wonderful Jesus, we love you and we thank you, O God, that you've called us out of darkness and put us into marvelous light, that you put us here today. And God, we know that we're nothing without you. Lord, the words I speak, let them not be of men's wisdom, but let them be, O God, anointed from your throne, full, O God, of your power and your fire, your holy touch. Lend unto me, I pray, anointing to speak to your people today. And we ask it all in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 All right, so. 15 city soup because of course some of you may have had 15 bean soup and I know what some of you are thinking I never had 15 bean soup I had 16 bean soup I had 14 I had 13 bean soup yeah there's a, a few variations but the point remains and and as you read the the cities there were 15 of them as I began so that's why I went with 15 city soup instead of 16 so today 15 city soup. And we need to understand what has just happened to Rehoboam to understand where we're going in the end. Rehoboam is one of the characters in the scripture I like to make fun of the most. Samson's a good one to pick on because, of course, he seemingly thinks nothing will ever eventually hurt him, but he keeps bringing Delilah back, bringing women back into his life. And so he's just an easy target, isn't he? He set up his own demise. He, he had it all. He had everything that he could have wanted. He had uh, a, a, an ability to get out of any situation. But he made for him his own self a trap. And so sometimes it's easy to pick on Samson. But Rehoboam is kind of my guy to pick on because he becomes king and the people ask him, hey, you know, things are good, but your, your dad has been taxing us and ordering us around and, and sending us here and sending us there, and we need a break from all of the pressure, from all of you, you, you taking our, our sons and our daughters as servants and for your armies and the taxes you've levied against us. So Ease the burden a little bit. And what does wise young Rehoboam do? I say young. He was 40, I think, or 41 at the time he became king. So he wasn't all that young, even if he wasn't all that old. He thinks about it for three days, and he comes back and says to them, Yes, my, my, my father was, was a heavy burden unto you, but his waist uh, it will not amount to my finger in pressure against you and so I'm going to raise the taxes and I'm going to take more from you and in that that very week he loses 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel and the kingdom is split then north and south Israel and Judah and so when this happens Rehoboam understands it's time for war. It's civil war, and I've got to take this back, but God speaks to him through prophets and says, you're not going to fight against your brethren in the north. You're not going to fight against Israel and Jeroboam, the leader 
now, the king of Israel. And so Rehoboam said, okay, I won't fight, but I will prepare. I will prepare for what is inevitable. And the Bible even says of him in, in doing these things that, that he dealt wisely in preparing these, these cities, these cities of defense, that he entrenches them and he gives them leadership and he gives them uh, uh, weapons and, and protections and he gives them stores of food and he does many smart and wise things to prepare for what? To prepare for the enemy that he sees. And the enemy that he sees is none other than Jeroboam, none other than his brethren, none other than the ten tribes to the north. And he forgets that there are other nations all around him. One day, king of Egypt says, you know, I think we can take them, guys. They're all, all shaky. They're all focused on someone else. And I think that we can get a couple other allies together and we can just march in. And we can take everything that they've got. Everything that they've got. What did they have? Rehoboam was the recipient of Solomon's great wealth. How wealthy was Solomon? I don't know if we could accurately capture historically everything that Solomon had control of. It's kind of a great mystery. But the Bible does record that he had so much gold in the kingdom that silver was like worthless. It was like pointless. Like, why would we make anything out of silver? Why would we exchange silver? Because we have so much gold. He had so much gold, didn't know what to do with it. He had shields made for decoration. Not like one or two, but like, you know, 60 of them. Or, or maybe more. I can't remember the exact number, but, but it, it wasn't a few. Just ornate shields. And, and the Bible accounts that there were, were, was so much gold put in them, about 600 shekels put into these shields. Now, how much gold is 600 shekels? Well, in today's money, and mind you, the price of gold is depressed and, and is artificially depressed, but, but just in those depressed numbers, it would be almost a half a million dollars each in gold. Wouldn't it be nice to have so much money that you could waste it on making ornate shields of gold? And they served no purpose. They just simply were, were there. They were ornate and decorative. And look at this. Look at what we've got. And Rehoboam, with all of his cunning and all of his preparation for 15 cities of defense, loses them almost immediately within five years. All that gold, all that wealth goes into Egypt, Ethiopia, and other countries. Because Rehoboam was preparing for war against the wrong enemy. Do me a favor and just take a look at the person that's nearest to you, left or right in front of you or behind you, take a look around at everybody here. I want to tell you something about that person. They are not your enemy. 
Later today, you're going to leave here. Some of you will have to gas up because you didn't have time on the way. Some of you will go to the grocery store because you need to pick something up. Some of you may go out to eat, whatever the case might be. You will see other people. Some of you will just go straight home and there's going to be someone else there. Whomever you see, I want you to tell yourself this. They are not your enemy. They are not your enemy. It's a strange thing, the concept of of an enemy. When I read about this in Scripture, when it says to, to love your enemies, I have... Not, I mean, I understand the sentiment, but I have a hard time maybe identifying with it because even people that irritate the daylights out of me, I don't view them as my enemy. Even though there's a lot of people that irritate me. Can I get an amen from anybody here? I see stuff all the time that just drives me crazy, just, just irritates the daylights out of me. Like, why do they do that? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Why, why do they behave that way? Like the people that wear their pajamas to a Cracker Barrel. I get offended by that, but I don't think they're my enemy. Stuff like that bothers me. I, I, you, you folks are probably so much more like uh, calm and, 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 and peaceful in your mind about that kind of stuff. It just... It, it just irritates, like I want to say, grow up. I'm watching the news this morning and Sarah's there, which means she's going to have to hear me complain about something. One of the commentators is a, a young lady who has a nose ring and her hair hasn't been brushed and she's on live television. I'm supposed to take this person seriously. And I know in our culture, like, uh, of the things to be upset about and of the things to worry about, this is probably low uh, on the priority list, but it bothers me. I'm thinking, how can, I, how can I take you seriously when you look like this? And then another person comes on, but he, he wasn't a commentator, okay? He was just on there being, a, he was featured in a news story, and he had shorts on and his sunglasses on the top of his head. And I said, look, there, there's another one. Now, I give him an excuse because he's not on TV every day, but what is the deal? Isn't there a producer, a director, or someone there says, hey, can I take your sunglasses? I'll give them back when this interview's done. Yeah, stuff irritates me all the time, but I don't feel like I have enemies. I don't feel like these people are my enemies. They just drive me crazy, you know? They just drive me Crazy, and we need to keep in perspective that, just, that irritation does not make someone your enemy. Disagreement does not make someone your enemy. Hey, child of God, if you really believe this word of the Lord, you need to understand who your enemy really is. It's not your brother and your sister. It is the devil. It is uh, the old serpent. It is the one that has come to deceive the whole world. And you don't need to prepare for battle against your brother and your sister, but you would be well advised to, to prepare for a spiritual warfare that is coming at you each and every day. 
And it may come through those brothers and those sisters. It may come through those uh, dingbats you see at Cracker Barrel or on the news. It may come through any number of channels. But understand the difference that, that, that you are not wrestling against flesh and blood. But you are wrestling against spiritual wickedness. And I know the scripture says it's in high places. But let me tell you something. I've been around a little bit. It's in low places too. Spiritual wickedness is, is all about us. Spiritual wickedness is, is waging a war and winning the war, if I can say it, against American culture each and every day. But he will not win against the church of the living God because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. 2 Corinthians says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down, now, if you can lend your ears to me, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That's a word that's not used much in the modern vernacular, but carnal simply means fleshly, fleshy, of the flesh. It, it, it's it's of the flesh. We use it in a, a derogatory, in a negative sense. It doesn't have to be, but we don't use this, this concept at all nowadays because our entire society, our entire culture is inundated with nothing but fleshliness, earthliness. In other words, it is not spiritually minded. We have a pandemic breakout, and, and none of our political leaders say, hey, let's have a day of prayer and fasting. Oh, I know that sounds crazy, but, but our leaders in the past used to do it all the time. Where do you think Thanksgiving came from? Well, I know the pilgrims, they started it, but that we did not observe it as a nation until our leaders said, you know, it ought to be, it'd probably be a good idea if we just had a day where we said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your bounty. Thank you for your blessings. Let's have a day where we just say, hey, it's in his hands, and we're going to do what we can. But the weapons, you know, sometimes they're, they're outside of our control. That's why the same nation that in just a few short years, 41, 2, 3, 4, and 5, Five short years, defeated the empires of Germany and Japan. But in 20 years, couldn't defeat 8th century goat herders in Afghanistan. I know you all are looking at me like, ah, oh, come on. Now it's more complicated than that. Is it? Hey, do we think, I preached about it last week, do we think about things in a spiritual sense or just in a fleshly sense? Can I tell you one more time, our weapons, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
The battles that you are fighting, and they may come out in these fleshly ways with these ridiculous people who can't decide what their, their pronouns are. But that person is not your enemy. However, the spirit behind it is the enemy. That spirit, that deceiver, that supplanter, that usurper of good things and holy things and righteous thinking. That is the enemy. Be prepared for the right enemy. But, but hardly do, do we see anyone with the confidence, if ever they're given the microphone on a stage, to say, you know, the issue here is spiritual. The issue here is, is spiritual. When's the last news commentator you heard say that? Oh, no, let's get bogged down in politics. Let's get bogged down in parties. Let's get bogged down in, in, in this and that and the other. Wouldn't it be nice and refreshing to see a politician say, hey, you know what America really needs? A, a, a week of fasting and prayer and a week of repenting. Because if we would humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways and seek his face, then maybe he would hear from heaven and he would heal our lands and he would end suffering and he would, he would end strife and he would end conflict. But we'd rather fight against ourselves. Be sober, the Bible says, Peter writing. Be sober and be vigilant. In other words, uh, be aware. Don't be sleepy. Don't be distracted. Be aware. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, many times I've quoted verse 8, but I haven't spent a lot of time in my ministry on verse 9. But I'd like to, to read the, the ending clause one more time. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Have you ever yourself been the person that says, no one understands this. No one has lived this. I'm the only one going through this. Now, if you're not honest enough to say that you've done that, I'm sure you could tell a story or two about someone else who has been that person. Now, each individual may not be the one who always plays the victim card, but I think from time to time we all play the victim card. Right. Woe is me, and, and it's not fair, and et cetera, et cetera. He, old Elijah comes to mind when he's so depressed because Jezebel is chasing him. He goes and lays down by the brook and says, God, kill me. I alone, I'm the only one left. Little did he know hundreds of prophets were hiding. Hundreds of obedient servants were being hid. I'm the only one. Read it again and understand that the things that you're tempted with, everybody in here sooner or later gets tempted with. The things that you're struggling with, people here are struggling with either the same thing or very similar things, or maybe even things greater than what you are currently facing. Trouble, trouble, 
is not unique to you. Hard times are not unique to you. And I know that you think that uh, 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 if I just had more money, everything would be better. But listen to the wise songwriter, Mo Money, Mo Problems. I know that didn't sound spiritual, but that don't mean it's not true. Because you know the first thing that happens to people with a lot of money? They develop a long line of friends needing their money. Help me, friend, help me. Help me, friend, help me. And you want to invest and you want to secure your future, but you've got an exponential number of people pulling on you, trying to grab your attention or things that you need to manage. How about we observe what the Bible says that, that if we've got food and if we've got clothes, let's be content. Oh, I didn't get a lot of amen right there, but I'll try it one more time. If we've got food and if we've got clothes and if we've got people that love us and we have a church that preaches truth and, and we've got a place that, that, that is safe, can, can we be content with what the Lord has provided for us? Can we understand that our boss is not our enemy? Our co-workers are not our enemy. Our bank account and our level of education, it's not our enemy. Our enemy is Lucifer. And he goes by many names, accuser and father of lives and a ruler of this world, adversary, lawless one, serpent of old, antichrist, beast, liar, Lucifer, son of perdition, fallen star, Belial, Beelzebub, deceiver, power of the air, prince of the power of the air, tempter, thief, the wicked one, ruler of darkness, the devil, the dragon, enemy, the evil one. But whatever you call him, Know that he's your enemy, not your brother, not your sister, not your insane drunk neighbor. Anybody got an insane neighbor? He may be two doors down or five, but they're around. You know, they need the love of the Lord. They need the light of Christ. You are salt and you are light in this world. Amen? So shine before them. And help them out if you can. And understand that they are not your enemy. Maybe the one that's working through them. The one, the one that is working in them may be your enemy. But that person is not your enemy. The Bible says in Revelation... War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. 
They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. You can not add to nor take away from Calvary. You can't. That's the blood of the Lamb. You know, you, you, there's nothing you can do that really adds to it or takes anything away from it. But you can activate it. You can activate it by the word of your testimony. I wonder how many tight-lipped Christians we have among us today that are afraid to tell people that Jesus still saves. I, I wonder if we're confronted with the opportunity, how many of us are willing to say, let me tell you who Jesus is. Isn't that the song we sang earlier? Amen. Oh, I know that you think that you, you know who he is. You think maybe he's the second person of a triune Godhead, but that's not in the Bible. However, what is in the Bible is that he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What is in, in Scripture is he is the express image of God's own person. Not persons, but God's own person. There is one, 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 one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. And understand the world needs that message. The world, the people in the world are not your enemy, but the prince of the power of the air who rules this world temporarily. He is your enemy, and you ought to be prepared for him. Don't bother wasting time uh, preparing for battle with people when the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why put your attention on humanity when it's the warfare of the spirit that we wage? Cunning and, and, and craftiness, yeah, it may, may be available to you. You might be able to prepare for anybody in any argument, and you might have a good quip back at them. You might be able to just uh, cut real deep with your tongue. I've done that a few times in my life. I don't know if any of you have, but I know, I know I've done that to people, maybe unintentionally. But I've done that to people. Cut them deep. I thought I was being clever. My cities were prepared, but I may have been fighting the wrong enemy. I'm focusing on, on this enemy, and, and I'm not paying attention to the fact that old king of Egypt's about to take everything away from me. And that's what he did. He came in, he took everything from Rehoboam, all the wealth. He didn't really oppress the people like other kingdoms had in past times. He just went in and got a good old payday for those old golden shields, you know, worth about a half a million apiece. Rehoboam missed it. You know, he, he missed that, that glory days of his father, and so he had new shields made, but they had no gold. He made them out of bronze. And this was the expression you know, what a great metaphor for Rehoboam, that this, this cheap substitute for good leadership, this cheap substitute for what a king should be. Now I've got these, these shields 
that were supposed to be just decoration. They were just supposed to be an expression of the glory and the might of Israel. And now he used them for protection. He had guards every time he would go into the temple. They would protect him on the outside. That's that's all they were used for, another big waste. Because why? All the days there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. He was afraid to go to church without an entourage of guards. Maybe we can understand that, but, but what we do see clearly is that he always thought Jeroboam was his enemy. Jeroboam was the, the order and command of the Lord. Jeroboam was going to happen no matter what Rehoboam did. That was the word of the Lord that came in Solomon's day. I'm going to take this kingdom and split it in two because of your disobedience, Solomon. For your father's, father David's sake, I won't do it while you're alive, but your son is going to pay the price. I'm going to tear this kingdom in half. Nothing Rehoboam could have done would have stopped it. But we have a, a, an amazing ability as humans to take a problem, look at it and analyze it, you know, like a Rubik's Cube. My son loves to do Rubik's Cubes. It does them fast. So what's your record, son? Like uh, 12 seconds? Yeah, like 12 seconds. Wow. We have a, an ability to look at a problem like a Rubik's Cube and we just, you know, we just make it worse. Because we're trying to solve it, but we don't have the answer. You know, I don't have the answer of how to solve a Rubik's Cube. You, you know how my son learned how to solve a Rubik's Cube? I would love to tell you that he was such a savant and such a genius that he could just look at it and figure it out, but that wasn't the case. I still think you're smart, son. He went to someone who had the answer. He went to Google. <laughs> He went to the internet. He said, how do you do this? Or YouTube or whatever videos you watch. And then he found other people that had quicker ways of doing it and different ways of doing it and, and, and more and more complex ways of solving it. But, but the fact of the matter is he didn't know how to do it. Can I tell you, as simple as you think your problem is, you don't really maybe have the answer, but you can go to someone who does and it's not Google. It's not the Internet. It is God Almighty. It is the Lamb of God. It is He who was slain from the foundation of the earth. It is Jesus Christ. He's got the answer. He's got the answer to solve the problem. You try to solve it yourself, and you'll have war all of your days. You will make it more complex more difficult. But if you seek the face of the Lord, he'll help you prepare for the right enemy. He'll show you Pharaoh's coming. He'll show you, watch your left, watch your right. Be careful about this. Meditate on these things. He'll tell you, be sober, be vigilant. You have an adversary, but it's not your brother or your sister. It's that old serpent. Would you stand with me today? Would you raise your hands towards heaven and begin to speak to the Lord? 
Come on, church, begin to speak to him. Begin to speak to him about those people that maybe you don't think they're your enemy. Maybe you don't describe it that way, but, but there's animosity, there's conflict, there's, there's strife, and there's enmity. Those who would oppose you. Speak to the Lord for a minute right now. Tell him. Tell him, Lord, I need you to solve this problem. I need you to intervene. I need you, oh God, to work it out. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Sita rubo shenela la mahatera ririki ano rubo tonundu. Oh, la la na mama hari de 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 di o shushu bo 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 hoko tona na 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 di di ondo rubo bo hoto lelili Jesus, Jesus. You know, if you've been offended, if you've been offended by someone in this congregation, this might be a good day for you to just go tell them, you're not my enemy. I love you. We're going to go to heaven together. I'm not going to study war. I'm going to lay down my animus. I'm going to lay down my bitterness. I'm going to lay down this weight, this burden. And I'm just going to pray with you. I'm going to pray for you. Church, would you continue to pray for a minute? Come on, let's seek the face of the Lord. If that person isn't in this congregation, maybe they're at work. Maybe they're your neighbor. It's not too late to make it right. It's not too late to make it better. It's not too late to to yield to the Lord and, and, and watch Him work. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Continue to pray, church. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land I'd rather be led by his nail pierced hands than to be
this world affords today. great privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord today. Thoroughly enjoyed the presence of the Lord and the great message. Is it amazing that all the time that was spent preparing for battle with the wrong person? How many endless hours people spend talking about another person and how they hate them and how they've treated them and not realizing all the time that that's not your enemy. You're wasting your time. How can you love God whom you haven't seen if you can't love your brethren whom you have seen? I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of you for your prayers. I know you've been praying for me, and uh, I appreciate your prayers, and I appreciate what God uh, did for me. A few of you might not know, but uh, I ride a big Indian motorcycle, and it is broken in two. The back is damaged, the front is damaged, but the middle was taken care of. <laughs> I was hit by a drunk driver from the rear. A witness told me that she thought he had to be gone at least 70. And the 
police thought I would not live. They took my motorcycle to the police station. They only do that if they don't think the injured party is going to live. Otherwise, they take them to the impound. So I went to get the motorcycle. They told me that. I got to the hospital. They cut my clothes off of me because they didn't want to move my arms and legs. They thought they were all broken. And they couldn't find one broken bone. And I got no stitches. And I know that that had to be the hand of God. <clears throat> I know God has something for me to do. He kept me here. I'm not sure what it is. But I want to be able to do whatever God would have me to do. My motorcycle was hit. I flew one way sliding down the pavement. I've got some road rash and a few lumps and bumps and bruises. My motorcycle went down the other lane about 75 feet down the road, hit another car head on, uh, and that car had to be towed away. Uh, the girl that witnessed the whole thing, I thought I was, I thought I was dead. I mean, I was knocked unconscious immediately, but I did hear the crashing, bending metal, and I felt the impact, but I thought I had been killed. But this girl was down in the street with me, and when I came to, my head was in her lap, and she was consoling me. I thought she was an angel from God. <laughs> she took a picture of the van as it drove away because he left the scene, got his license plate number, and they arrested him within minutes. And um, as far as I'm concerned, I hope he never gets to drive again in his life. So... I've told you all that because everybody wants to know, asking me questions about it. That's pretty much the story. I, I did talk to a lawyer, and he said to me, well, there's not a lot of money here, he says, because nothing was broke. I said, which leg do you want me to break? I don't, you know, <laughs> I can take care of that for you. <laughs> but uh, I think I would rather have my health and I have my life. That's worth all the money of the world. So I feel as though I've already won. I've already been paid. And talking about pain, pastor just informed me that uh, there are some bills at the church that have come due and that uh, he, he needs some help to pay these bills. So unlike hardly any other time, we want to receive another offering today. Um, Sister Sarah, do you take care of the... Uh, do you take care of the uh, slips from the uh, credit cards? We actually, okay, you can bring that one up. You do? On my slip that I turned in today, would you change that one to a two? And uh, we'll help out with, with what we can, all right? So we can uh, have a little music. If you would march around, if you are able to do so, Give whatever you feel led to do, and I promise you that God will take care of it because he'll speak to the right people. And as you walk around, then you can be dismissed. God bless you.